This week, Talking TV is brought to you by pop-up post firm The Finish Line, dealing with everything from consulting to full post and delivery. Uh, they've recently worked on Robot Wars, Mutiny and Little Big Shots, to name a few. Hello and welcome, I'm Peter White. On today's show, we head back from Cannes, where broadcasters spent the week at MIP TV, searching for the weirdest and most wonderful global formats and keeping an eye on the subtitles and the best foreign drama. There may have also been a few glasses of rosé. We expose what really happened during the market, reveal the biggest deals and try and make some general sense of the international telemarket. Uh, we speak to NBC non-scripted boss Paul Telegdi about the Hollywood studio's drive to find the next voice. Elsewhere, we speak to Kieran Evans, director of Sky Art's forthcoming Manic Street Preachers documentary, Escape from History. That's all coming up on Talking TV from Broadcast. Joining me at Maple Street Studios is Broadcast International Editor Minori Ravindran, uh, fresh off the plane from the south of France. Hello, Minori. Hello, Pete. Did you make it back in one piece? I just about. It was yeah. a hell of a week, right? Uh, it was. It was a hell of a week. I was there since Friday and uh, kind of the longest week of my life. But um, here we are. We made it back. So this is your second uh, second MIP event since joining uh, joining Broadcast. Is it any easier than the first time? A little bit. This one had 100% more Gary Barlow, which is very exciting. You're a big Take That fan, I understand. I, I am a bit of a Take That fan. Uh, there was a very lovely acoustic performance uh, from Gary at the BBC Worldwide Party, and I, I quite appreciated that. So and He was singing back for good just to you, right? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, there was some eye contact, so it was definitely directed at me, for sure. <laughs> um, so, to Can, a dearth of traditional US buyers made for a quiet MIP TV, but the market was buoyed by an emphasis on quality over quantity. Uh, is that right? Is that uh, you were you were finding out on the quartet? Yeah, I mean, just talking to various producers and distributors, people were saying, I mean, it's, you know, MIP TV has been kind of quieter for the last last few years. I mean, that's not it's not really surprising, but people were saying it was a little bit more, uh, more so this year. Um, however, most people actually appreciated the intimacy of it. Uh, I think compared to the craziness of MIPCOM, most people actually found that, um, you know, they, they had better meetings um, in terms of the people who were there. Uh, a lot of the companies sent just a few people, but those who were there were actually able to kind of like bring out the checkbooks and also kind of just move projects along, able to make decisions a lot faster. Maybe so. spend a bit more time with the buyers rather than the uh, the thrust of a 30 minute meeting. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's that's what I was hearing quite a bit. And you spoke to Lorraine Garot, who uh, is the sort of television boss of, of Reed Medium. Uh, she admitted that delegate numbers were down, but uh, actually said U.S. buyers were, were slightly up. Um, so tell us about your, your conversation with Lorraine. What was, her, what was her reaction to the market? Yeah, I mean, you know, they were sort of uh, really putting up the, the positives, which was sort of the pre-LA screenings showcase that they had for the first time, the second uh, edition of MIP Drama, which apparently had quite a few uh, folks there. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, she ultimately did admit the numbers were slightly down. Um, she did say, though, that the U.S. market was up over 6% from last year and buyers were up 4%. But she also said that there were a lot of kind of new digital uh, people who were who were there. So that could be... That could be why. And you mentioned MIP, uh, MIP Drama. There's some interesting projects. A few British shows like Clique and, and Fearless. Uh, Babylon Berlin from uh, from Germany, the, the Sky uh, Sky Atlantic period drama. Tom Tegwer. 
Yep, exactly. And um, and some strange uh, strange Russian sci-fi series and a, a very brutal uh, a brutal Brazilian jail series. So they found projects from all over the world for, for MIP drama, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, had a really good conversation with Tom Tecker, actually, who uh, you know said that project was years in the making. Uh, huge, huge budget for that. I think it's something like, I think he said 2.4 million per uh, US per, per episode, which is quite a quite big um and yeah they're really proud very pleased with how it's turned out i think it's going to be it's very uh it's kind of got that auteur stamp on it which i think people will like and i think it actually won one an award as well uh, at the the market so great uh, but not everyone was happy uh, one major distributor told you that there was a real risk of neither mip tv nor mipcom being compelling enough in their own right to attract the right people Perhaps now is the time to consider consolidating both markets into one very powerful event in October, uh, the distributor said. So this is the idea that that some people actually think that that maybe you don't need both. Exactly. Yeah. Um, to be fair, I didn't hear too too much of that, but I mean, there are a lot of. I think there were quite a, plenty of concerns over over the quietness of the of the market. Um, personally, I don't really see them doing that not not for another few years at least i mean people are going to come mip formats was was pretty uh pretty vibrant but uh that is something that was put forward you know have one big mega market in october and then that'll be it <laughs> a one big mega market that's a terrifying thought and as always netflix and amazon were out in force uh, both companies chasing scripted co-productions and making more moves into non-scripted uh amazon boss roy price uh, clad very much in a james deal style james dean style leather jacket uh, talked up uh, filmer vision uh, um, at the uh, at the event uh, as well, and um, and similarly, you uh, you found out some news about Netflix hiring uh, even more people. Yeah, that's right. So uh, Sean Hancock used to be a BBC Entertainment Commissioner, and then went over to move to LA to join uh, Fremantle Media North America. Uh, is moving over there, and actually has uh, I think this is his, his second week now with Netflix, uh, which is very exciting. So he's a he's a manager, I believe, with Unscripted Originals. You know, he said he's doing very much the same thing that he was at BBC. And I think that's a really great get for them. Yeah, and good for Brits uh, for, for having some knowledge of, uh, of some of the buyers over there as well. Uh, and back to the traditional players, uh, NBC non-scripted boss Paul Telegdi, a Brit who's been based in L.A. since helping to transport Strictly Come Dancing in the States, was in town to talk up the company. Let's hear from Paul discussing why there hasn't been a global format hit since The Voice. Let's just say I've been around the creative campfire at what at the start of what turned into a lot of hit television shows and a lot of commerce. You mean you've met all the hundred people that created Strictly Come Dancing? Uh, I know exactly the origin, fundamental yeah. origin story of that show at the BBC, and I know that my role was to reluctantly set a meeting in an American broadcaster <laughs> saying you'll never fucking sell this thing, <laughs> yeah. and they did. And how things become hits and when they become hits timing is probably the number one reason for the success of every hit that there's been. It hit a specific need at a specific time and answered a very specific why Mm -hmm. for that moment. And then, what is everyone talking about? What was the biggest hit before The Voice came along? When was the next big hit before that? Got talent? Yeah, what year was that? 2004. Seven years before 2011 when The Voice became a hit. So would you uh, Yeah, we must be. You're talking to the right people. That was NBC's Paul Telegdi. Next up, Mike Beale, Formats boss at ITV Studios, who said that while everyone was still searching for that breakout hit, most distributors were happy to be selling more mid-tier formats in the meantime. It's good to see 
sort of a steady stream of formats here. I quite like MCTV. I know people talk about it being quieter, and, and, and but I, I I prefer the word calmer. <laughs> I think you get more time. You, you genuinely get more time to. Which means you can get more done. I think you can get more more talked about. You're not moving on to your next meeting. Uh, so that you've got the time to think about uh, who it is you're meeting, what you're meeting about, and uh, and then give them some real focus. Formats does seem to be the uh, the buzzword again. I know there's a bit a bit of focus about drama, but it certainly feels that perhaps formats are, are back in the spotlight. Um, I guess do you agree with that? And, and if so, you know what what do you think uh, is the market for uh, the sort of non-scripted business? I think economics will always win out. Uh, I think you know the, the drama is and will continue to to um, to be big. With the number of outlets available uh, is is growing, it's still growing. But economics says that you can't spend that much money on everything. So um, the opportunity for non-scripted, which is in essence lower cost, um, certainly in the moment, and certainly for the sort of the popularity in formats that we're seeing, which is the is specifically the lower cost, maybe mid-tier formats, um, which sort of sees the rise sees the rise of factual entertainment and game show interest. Um, I think again one of the key um, five gold rings. And the wall, sort of, and going out there as brand new game shows. So, is this the idea of everyone searching for the next voice or the the next who wants to be a millionaire? But actually, the business is is being dictated by more mid tier formats that don't necessarily rack up a hundred sales, but do a, a bit of solid business. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's, and I think that could be in, in a fragmented world that could be could be the future. Certainly, the near future, budgets, budgets coming down, budgets being spread along um, amongst more things, more, you know, broadcasters having to do more with their budgets, be it um, catch up and SVOD and uh, uh, digital stuff in digital spaces. So um, they have to be more aware of how and when they're spending. We also know that the big beer markets are still there. <laughs> They're still there and they're still doing their job. And you're still looking for for the next one of those. Yeah, probably. I mean, I mean, we will. I mean, I think we all forget that. Um, I think possibly we've been searching too hard. I think we've we've been yes, this must be it. And actually, if we remember back, each one of those grew out of an organic, good idea, and it delivered in its local territory, and then it got more territories. Um, so, so I think we possibly have to let it happen. Let the, the content do the talking. And finally, uh, other than the stuff that ITV Studios is is promoting and selling down here, has there been a, a format from someone else that's caught your eye? I like the wall. I'm yeah. a game show geek. Yeah. Grew up in game shows. That that reveal moment at the end of it is is a special moment. As ever, it annoys me that somebody else has got it. But but like I say, I actually look at on the positive side for us. It's put trust back into original game shows. Good for the business as a whole. Good for the business as a whole, yeah, absolutely. That was Mike Beale talking global formats. Uh, Manoy, you were there over the weekend for, for MIP formats, and uh, it felt like formats perhaps had a little bit of a comeback at this market. Is that right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, we saw some really exciting uh, sales over the over the, the last few days. The wall has gone to Spain and Germany, five gold rings to France too. Um, something I thought that was actually really fascinating is that Ambulance, uh, the BBC... Uh, format has been sold to Israel and also the U- the U.S. So CBS is going to do a series, uh, which is quite quite exciting. In terms of genres uh, that I saw, it seems like relationship driven shows are still very much um, uh, you know very much in vogue. Um, People looking for big dating formats, right? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, there were some. So The Wit does a does a format showcase, uh, and you know a lot of people attend. It's it's hugely. It's a it's a big big hit for for her. But um, some pretty batshit crazy formats. I'm not gonna lie. Like there were some. Uh, but... So go on, but give us some examples of some batshit crazy formats. <laughs> well, there's one that Viacom is actually selling. Uh, I think it's uh, Spring Break with Granddad. And I can understand it because we're seeing a lot of formats now that are sort of cross-generational in approach. I mean, um, you know, Channel 4 has uh, Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds, for example, and that's that's being sold by Red Arrow. That's going to be pretty big, I think. But but anyway, this one is just, I mean, you kind of felt like you needed a little bit of a shower after seeing that tape because it was Americans on spring break, young kids who are now taking their grandparents along. Why, I don't know. Um, but yeah, you just kind of felt a little dirty after watching it, to be honest. So it's kind of, um, I think, uh, yeah, I heard a lot of people after that particular showcase just just commenting on that and wondering if things have gone a little bit too far with we're all going this, too far but... yeah following naked attraction seeing lots of everything now we're seeing lots of grandfather grandfathers as well yeah i mean there was actually one format uh, i think it's uh, distributed by tuvalu media called naked and it's just basically two people um i believe they're in a relationship but they're dropped off in in various locations in the same city completely you know stark naked um and they need to find themselves find find their way back to each other and you know hopefully acquire some clothing in the on the way and it's 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 pretty it's amazing is what it is it sounds like something that could have happened in Cannes after a, a, a large <laughs> night out on the rosé I'm sure absolutely and finally on a more local note this week broadcast interviewed ITV director of television Kevin Ligo uh, who pledged to take more risks and continue shaking up the ITV schedule despite a mixed reaction to his revamped programming slate uh, five weeks ago he launched a raft of weeknight shows including Little Big Shots Harry Hill's Alien Fun Capsule and stripped 10pm US style chat show The Nightly Show uh, the latter has attracted significant criticism, but LIGO told broadcast that ITV is a strong position to continue experimenting and even suggested that it may come back at 10.30. Uh, what do you make of this, Manoy, yeah, the nightly show in particular? You know, I think they tried something and, and good for them, really. You should take more risks and especially, you know, something like that could be could have worked out really well. It's, perhaps it'll come back at some point in a different iteration. I think there are definitely some kinks that need to be ironed out. But overall, I think it's a good thing for, for the industry to, to be taking risks like that and, and good for him to be, you know, wanting to do to do more of that in the future. Excellent. And you can read more on that story as well as a major ratings analysis on ITV's schedule in this week's mag or online at broadcastnow.co.uk. Next up, BAFTA winner Kieran Evans joins us in the studio to talk about Sky Art's Escape from History, a documentary detailing the Manic Street Preacher's journey of uncertainty following the disappearance of band member Richie Edwards and the success of the following LP, Everything Must Go. But before we meet Kieran, let's hear a clip from the film. They were ferociously alone in the terms of their politics. There was tension, and I suppose an unspoken, is it going that well? Well, the Holy Bible was obviously a critical success for commercial flop. It's powerful, it's intense. It addresses issues pop records normally don't go to the Holocaust. The story begins with Christmas. They were ferocious. The Holocaust. Anorexia. Alone. Kind of felt like maybe the end of a chapter. So, Kieran, thank you for joining me in the studio. Uh, so, tell us about Escape from History. 
Well, Escape from History is um, a story about a particular period of the Manic Street Preacher's history. Uh, it involves what happened after one of the um, band members, Richie Edwards, disappeared without trace. And basically what happened to the band uh, um, afterwards and how they kind of got around or how they survived the disappearance and the the pain of losing somebody, uh, and how they then went on to record what what most people consider a rock classic album called Everything Must Go, and certainly one of their most successful records on the back of that. Absolutely, yes, no, yeah. And uh, you had a relationship with them before, so did you know them for a while? Give us a give us an example of how you uh, so, how you came across them. I'd known James from the band just socially for quite a while. We had kind of promised each other that at some point we'd start working together on some projects uh, and there was a couple of projects in the pipeline that uh, like there was a, a live show that I was supposed to film and then one of the band members got injured and all that kind of thing so well, third time lucky um, we were they had just started recording an album called Rewind the Film and they kind of approached me because it had a very uh, Welsh a narrative running through it and they wanted something slightly different so um, I ended up kind of writing um, a script for three short films for the three of the songs on the album and um, they, that was very successful and then I kind of ended up kind of working with them on many other things. And so tell us about this in terms of as you say it's looking back at a, a part of their history why did they want to tell this and then and how did you go about actually doing that it's quite a difficult subject. Yeah well I think the thing is that they didn't want to talk about it. You know, it was the one big elephant in the room. And I think the people that surrounded them didn't really want to talk about it. But I think because I'd kind of built up this relationship with them uh, and there was a level of trust there, I kind of pushed them to kind of start thinking about that period of time about how, how in the run-up to recording Everything Must Go. Um, there was a 20th anniversary last year. And so it kind of felt that it was the right time to talk about things. There was enough distance, shall we say, yeah. uh, to kind of start opening up about it in a in a slightly different way than what had been put out before. And then talk about that process. Yeah, as you say, both the, 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 the tale had been been told many times. Yeah. So you needed to bring some sort of fresh perspective to this. Yeah. To take, how long did the film take to, to actually make? It took a year. It took a year, um, you know, because, you know, we have to make tentative steps. Uh, so the approach was... Really, I pitched this idea to them that we'd just do audio-only in interviews to start with, just to get a conversation going, uh, and also in interview them uh, separately rather than as a collective, because I think when a band get together and they do an interview together, there's almost like a, uh, a standard line they'll take. So um, that's kind of how we started in hotel rooms whilst they were touring, uh, in their studio, kind of like at the, their homes. And I started just piecing together a narrative which was a lot more personal. And I think they didn't realise how personal they were going uh, in those conversations. And did you have an idea how you wanted the film to actually look? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we the, also I'm very you know uh, Nicky Wire from the band is is their kind of. Uh, creative visual force, shall we say. And so we had a kind of like a, a long conversation about the idea that um, we didn't want a standard kind of rock documentary about, you know, like an album kind of uh, story. So there was a there was an idea forming that there was, we wanted it to be a slight, had a slight, um, we had a slight psychogeographic kind of approach. There was, it was supposed to be slightly more 
uh, had an art bent to it and it kind of drew on as much about the audio and the kind of the audio experience as much as the visual experience. And he's called you there Anton Corbin, which is quite a compliment. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was a bit unexpected. I, I'm, I don't know what to say about that. But yes, I'm you know, chuffed that they think of me in that way. And you um, you had a history in sort of music videos originally, and yeah. then and you've actually made some drama and yeah. and, and scripted uh, side of things. So so talk about the differences between making making those. Do you see them in in very different ways or not? I like to think of myself as a storyteller. You know what I'm kind of interested in is characters and people who have got something interesting to say. So whether it is drama or whether it is documentaries, I'm kind of always looking for interesting stories. Where I started, I was making music videos and rave visuals and that type of thing. And after a while, there's only so many you can do before it just becomes a repetitive kind of process. So I kind of started making short films with bands and started just approaching bands who I thought were interesting and labels that I thought were interesting and uh, started making longer form films for them. Companies like Heavenly. Yeah, companies like Heavenly, Bella Union, those sort of area, uh, mute records. You know, people, I suppose, people who I thought shared my <laughs> similar music tastes, really. And I just kind of, it just kind of came from there, really. And I just, then I kind of made a film with my friend Paul Kelly. Um, this is Kelly and, Kelly and Victor? No, no, no. This is Paul Kelly. Um, he's a filmmaker, and we made um, a film with Saint-Étienne called Finisterre. And it's just kind of moved on from there, and then um, I just had a... F I just wanted to start getting into more drama stuff, and I um, optioned a book called Kelly and Victor, which is um, not the most uh, easiest of subjects, uh, uh, and developed that whilst I kind of carried on making documentaries. I made a film with Vashti Bunyan about um, which took about six years to make, um, and she was, you know, and so uh, so we kind of we kind of I started developing um, drama next uh, parallel to, you know, my documentary work, uh, and then I flipped over to the the drama and made the film uh, and won a BAFTA and won a BAFTA for yeah for Dave outstanding debut, so. Um, but kind of you know that, that you know that was completely unexpected and very nice and that type of thing. But you know, um, films, feature films take a long time to make, and also it's kind of they're, they're tough things to make. And um, you want to kind of make the right film rather than just any old film. So I'm kind of like you know, it's nice to have this other part of my uh, f filmmaking cap to have to keep on making documentaries with people I want to make films with. Yeah, and in terms of this documentary, it's made with CC Lab. Did you have a relationship then? What was the... Oh, yeah, no, I go, I go way back with CC Lab. Um, in fact, I kind of like... We, I was the first filmmaker that they worked with because they were set up in a basement in Newman Street uh, with the lovely Jason Hocking and Ron Orders. Uh, and they, you know, I kind of... They they were the kind of people I kind of went to um, with these kind of ideas for short films because Ron Orders especially had come from um, a long line of documentary films. He was one of the first filmmakers to make docs for uh, Channel 4 and that type of thing. And Jason had been working with Patrick Keeler, who was one of my favourite filmmakers. So it was this kind of really nice little fit. And, we, you know, we started in the little basement. I bought a little tower and we bought Final Cut Pro version one, <laughs> started playing with DV and that type of thing. And just we just moved on from there, really. And um, this film will launch on Sky Arts as sort of part of their, their new rock doc season. Uh, was Sky always involved or when did they come in on the, in the process? Um, they came in slightly halfway through because basically what we did, 
because we didn't really know what shape it was going to take. So initially it was just, it was myself and the band's commitment to kind of making something. And because I was involved in the Everything Must Go anniversary work anyway, so I was doing um, live visuals and films for the live show. So whilst we were doing that, we were kind of like, the visuals started informing what we could be, how we could help the, the documentary. So we put together a little five-minute taster and sent it to the lovely Barbara Lee at Sky Arts, and she really liked it and and wanted to be part of it and saw the saw what we were trying to do, which was quite refreshing. Um, and, you know, it was very enthusiastic and encouraging to kind of keep following that particular line of kind of the slightly artier way of telling the story. Does it change the, the process when you know you're going to make it for a TV audience rather than a, a feature length or a feature film? Um, well, having done, I mean, for this particular project, no. I mean, I was allowed to do whatever I want. I was even allowed to dictate how many parts there were because the story was, you know, we kind of, it was like, you know, it was a non-traditional length for TV anyway. It was 80 minutes. And so, and I had kind of told the story in four parts of 20 minutes each. So I kind of, we held firm on the idea that we need, you know, three parts um, section and, they agreed so you know so it's kind of like it's you know the the ad breaks don't come abruptly you know to me where you just think somebody's just going to say something and we go to cut you know and we're going through quite a purple patch of uh of rock docs mm. you think of uh, amy and montage of heck and and some films that are actually uh doing some business at the box office as mm. well do you agree with that do you do you think that's going to continue yeah no i think there's you know there's such a demand and a kind of like an interest in musical documentaries is uh netflix for example as well you know they've they've done an amazing uh three-part series on hip-hop called hip-hop evolution i mean i think there's a thirst for it and i think the thing is uh that kind of non-traditional formats and you know obviously cinema films and that allow you to maybe kind of explore subject matters that are away from the confines of tv commissioners and that type of thing and that can only be good because i think music is about experiences it's not just about people sat on sofas telling you what happened and i think that's kind of you know i think in a, some of those films like the nick Cave film and all that type of thing you know you're exploring areas that are a lot more i suppose truer to the creative arc of what the artist wants to do and what's next for you have you got your next project lined up yeah yeah no i'm um i'm working on <laughs> a music documentary at the moment with an electronic music pioneer called Richie Horton, uh, which explores electronic music in a new way, which is not about uh, hedonism and all that, but kind of explaining in scientific ways how music affects your body, how's your physiology. So it's part about electronic music, but it's part science. It's it's all about that. So we're doing that and... Um, I hope developing something with Underworld, a film with them. So that's the kind of music end of things. And then drama-wise, I've got two films in development and starting working on scripts sometime in the summer, he said. <laughs> <laughs> if I can just get the little bit of the science of the electronic music out of the way. Fair enough. Well, fantastic. Uh, Escape from History launches on Sky Arts on the 15th of April. And that's your lot for this week's episode of Talking TV, which was brought to you by The Finish Line. You can see some of their recent work on Firecracker Films' Dr. Christian Will See You Now for W, which follows the good doctor as he diagnoses, counsels and treats patients who desperately need his help. 
Thanks to Kieran, Paul, Mike, Manoy. I'm Peter White, and the producer is Matt Hill from Rethink Audio. We'll see you on the other side. 